Found out quickly this morning that I should have worn red, so I need to apologize right at the start. I don't even have my chief socks on. That's how much I missed. So I'm hoping they win today so that, you know, in a couple weeks I can make up for it on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, any amens for that one? Or? Yeah, all right, all right. There you go. Thank you. Um, but it is, it is good to be together. Uh, this last week, Angela and I were out in uh, Chicago at a week-long uh, leadership conference that our denomination hosts called Midwinter. And it was a, a great week in many ways, but, you know, living in a hotel, in a hotel bed, uh, dealing with the wind chills below zero in Chicago, that wasn't so great. Uh, but I loved connecting with old friends and seeing people from uh, the several years of ministry I've had in the Covenant Church, and even meeting new friends. I had a chance to have breakfast with Mark Severson, who was the pastor here about five, six years ago. So so great to sit with him and, and to hear the stories of Hillcrest that he shared with me and to get to know him. It was really an encouraging week. But there was a, a challenge for me while I was there. My youngest, Haven, just uh, got her driver's license about a week and a couple days ago, right before we left town. So the first full week that Haven is out driving to school and driving to work, I was 500 miles away in Chicago. And um, you could say I got a little clingy. You know, it freaked me out a little bit. Like I was communicating with her all the time, just making sure she was okay, sending out those texts that we do as parents sometimes, you know, like, like how is the ride to work today? How is school today? Is the garage door closed? 10 and 2, 10 and 2, you know, don't, don't text back to me while you're driving, you know, um, all these things to make sure she was doing okay during the week. And of course, she's fine, you know, she's loving having her freedom and she did a great job. But um, as dad, I was freaking out a little bit because I wasn't so close to her. So we communicate with people we care about. We reach out to those that we're concerned about. When there's things going on in their worlds that, that we want to know they're okay, we reach out and communicate with them. And that's what I was doing this last week. That's what we do when we care about someone. We keep the communication going. This morning, we're starting five weeks looking at some communication that took place about 1,961 years ago, just a little bit ago a letter written by a first century guy named Paul to some of his friends in a town called Philippi. And he was really wanting to encourage them and connect with them and communicate with them. So he wrote a letter. Now, Paul didn't experience Jesus while Jesus was walking the planet in the same way that the disciples did. Those three years when Jesus was teaching the truth and healing the sick and, and eating with, with normal people as he was dying violently and rising victoriously, Paul missed out on all of that. But Jesus still got a hold of his heart. Jesus still transformed Paul's life and brought him into a friendship. And Paul wanted to tell other people about this amazing thing that God was doing in the world that Jesus had done. And so the ways that Paul did that is he would gather a, a few friends together and they would go out on tour together and go into different towns and tell anybody that would listen about the difference Jesus had made in their lives. The son of God who came to change the world. And on Paul's second Roman world tour around 50 AD, he came to the edge of the map of as far as where he had been on his journeys thus far. He came to the, the eastern edge of the Aegean Sea to a city called Troas. And we're going to put a little map up here on the screen. Troas is right above the A in Asia on the top right side of the map there. And you can see Philippi, the big star. And so in Troas there, Paul and his friends, they thought they might head north for a little bit and then head back west again, back down to Antioch, back down to Syria, back home. But as they considered that move, Paul, in a dream, saw a man on the other side of the Aegean Sea. And the man was saying to him, come on, come on over across the sea. Come over to Macedonia and help us. This was the, the vision Paul received. A man saying, come on over and bring us hope and good news. Come over to Macedonia. 
And so the team said, okay, we got to go across the sea and see what God is doing on the other side. I'm going to read what happened next uh, from Philippians chapter, uh, actually Acts 16. I'm going to read what happens next as they came into the town of Philippi. Uh, And as I read that, I want you to be thinking because I'm going to have you take about one minute and talk about a question around your tables here. Now, if you're watching online, talk with those with you in the living room. But if you're watching on your own, I just want you to take some time and reflect on this this question I'm going to ask. And uh, I just want to encourage you to lean into this, to give it some thought because We know that the Bible, Scripture calls itself living and active. That means it's moving. It's moving in us and through us. And when we share with each other what we see in the text, what we think God is saying, we learn new things with one another. God uses that. So I want to invite you to really lean in and and share some things that you're seeing. I'm going to give you one minute to do this. That's not enough time for some of you. That's way too much time for others of you. Um, But I want you to to lean in. Okay, here's the question we're going to ask, this first question. We're going to do this twice this morning, okay? Only two times. This is the first question. What do you notice about the beginning of the Jesus movement in Philippi? Okay, what do you notice about the beginning of the Jesus movement? I'm going to read the beginning, and then I want you to share that around your table. What do you notice about it from these verses here? This is Acts 16. From Troas, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony. It's an important city in that part of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate and walked down to the river. There we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira. Her business was selling purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to accept Paul's message. She and her family were baptized. Then she invited us to her home. Do you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said. She asked, if you do, come and stay at my house. She succeeded in getting us to go home with her. This is the beginning of the church in Philippi. So take one minute Around your table, what do you notice about the beginning of this church? Okay, one minute, go. Okay, about 30 seconds left, halfway through, 30 seconds. Okay, you could start wrapping up your conversation. Start wrapping that up. Good job. Like I said, that was quick. 
So good to hear the voices, though, the chatter going on. That's really good. Uh, anyone want to share what they noticed or someone from your table? Just one person to say, here's what we saw. Or here's something that we noticed. Anyone? I'm sure. Yeah. We were talking about um, in the beginning of the passage, we talked about how it's a, let's see, a principal city or a big city in the district. So it's like a kind of strategic place for him to be starting ministry. Yeah, strategic place to start. Philippi was well known. It was on the Roman road. It was important to the days. So good. Yeah. I mean, you guys have, there's so many good things you could notice in that passage. Let me just share a couple things I noticed uh, Philippi, uh, the name of the city, it comes from uh, the son of, uh, I'm sorry, the father of Alexander the Great. Many of us have heard of Alexander the Great. His dad, Philip II, it, the city was named after him. Uh, one of the things I noticed was that phrase, we traveled, we traveled to Philippi. We, we shows up. And the verses right before this, it's not we, but now it becomes we. Well, why is that? We know that uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke also wrote the gospel of Luke. He was a historian, a, a doctor, wanted to accurately tell the stories of Jesus. And during this time, he was with Paul. He shows up every so often in the book of Acts. He shows up and he starts touring with Paul. And so the, the, nouns, the pronouns become we instead of they or things like that. So the we would have been Paul who was leading the group, Silas, his, his co-leader. Uh, Timothy would have been with them at this point, the apprentice leader of Paul. And then Luke is, is along for the ride as well. Another thing I noticed here is that uh, Paul has to use a different way of approaching planting these churches. This is his second journey. All of his first journey, and up to this point in his second journey, he would normally go into a new town, find the synagogue. On the Sabbath day, he would meet with the Jewish people in the synagogue and share about the Messiah who had come, Jesus, the Son of God, and begin to share with them the good news about Jesus. Those that would receive it, he began to work with them and build something there, and then he would reach out to Gentiles in that town through the influence he had through these Jewish believers. But now in Philippi, he had to do something different. There wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. There weren't enough Jewish people there to have a synagogue. So it says that on the Sabbath, instead of going to the synagogue, they walked down by the river expecting to find a place of prayer. And we're told here, we're not told if they found a place of prayer or if the women were praying, but they found some women that were there. One of them, Lydia, whose heart was open to God. She was a worshiper of God. And she receives the news about Jesus and becomes a follower of his and the church begins. And, th and this is just sort of an aside, but, but sometimes to reach a new community or a new people group or a new generation, you have to try some new things. You have to try something new. Paul was forced into a different type of approach to reveal this amazing life that Jesus gave him, the forgiveness and grace of God expressed through Christ. And, and Paul said, whatever it takes, I'm used to doing it this way, but I'm going to try something new. Hillcrest, we might be in a place where something new is required for us to reach a new people with the great love about Jesus. The rest of Acts 16 tells us how this story progresses in uh, Philippi, how things continue to develop. And it wasn't an easy start for the people. Uh, Paul and his companions were forced out of town a few days later. And uh, later on, Paul would write to another church, the, church, the next church he went to, and he would write about his experience in Philippi. Here's what he said. You know how badly we had been treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. How much we suffered there. Those are powerful words about his experience in Philippi. And yet, 10 years later, he's writing a letter to that church, expressing his love to them, the joy that they bring into his life. He's in prison in Rome, writing this letter to them because they wanted to know how he was doing. How did he know they cared about him? Well, they had sent some gifts to him. They had sent some financial help and some supplies to him while he was in prison in Rome. So he writes a letter back to them to say, hey, thank you, and here's how I'm doing. 
He was in Rome waiting to, uh, to come before the emperor who was Nero at this time, about 61 AD. And Paul was in prison because some people in Jerusalem had accused him of breaking Jewish law while he was in the temple courts. And he hadn't done that, but they accused him of it, so he was arrested. And uh, the political leaders in that area of the world, they were trying to figure out, should we let this innocent man go free, or should we appease the Jewish leaders that we care about their political power? Should we keep them satisfied by leaving them in prison? And for two years, Paul waited near Jerusalem for them to make a decision on that. And after a couple of years, he finally said, you know what, I'm a Roman citizen, so I'm appealing to Caesar. I want to I talk to the big man. And so they shipped him off to Rome. And here's where he's waiting to see Nero, to make his case. And as he's waiting in prison, he writes letters to his friends in Philippi. And he writes about joy. He writes about rejoicing in the goodness of God. Sixteen different times in this letter, he writes about joy or rejoicing. What a fascinating theme to write about when you're sitting in prison, celebrating parties, joy, rejoicing, all with chains around your wrists and your ankles. This is his theme of the letter of Philippians. We love thinking about joy. We like uh, those happy emotions. We like the things that feel good, and we, we don't want to go into the negative emotions, right? We don't like thinking about negative things and negative feelings. We're just coming out of Christmas. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? But, uh, but Christmas, you know, those songs go that it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's the hap, happiest season of all, right? That's how the song goes. And here we are a few weeks away, and we look back, and some of you guys, you probably had a great Christmas. But there's many of us that look back and go, that wasn't, that wasn't so good. I didn't have all that happiness I was looking for in that season. Some of us had a hard time leaning into emotions, understanding that the gift of emotions are to us, and especially when they're negative and, and hard emotions, those we don't enjoy so much. Angela and I sometimes get into a, a challenge around picking out movies, kind of movie we want to watch together. Uh, and we figured out why that is, because when it comes to movies, I want a movie to take me somewhere else. I want to escape in a movie. I want to go to a galaxy far, far away. I want to go on a, an epic adventure, you know. Uh, I don't want to be in my life anymore. But when Angela watches a movie, she watches a movie because she wants to feel something. Ugh. Right? <laughs> I, got, I got enough feels in my life, you know. Well, when I watch a movie, I want to go somewhere else and escape and, and get away. Um, we end up having to settle on like an action romance or a dramatic thriller or something by Wes Anderson. You know, something like that is what we get stuck with. Um, but it's because of the way we approach emotions. Uh, joy is an interesting thing because joy is much more than just an emotion. It's, it's similar to happiness, but it's, it's different at the same time. And it seems like it comes from where they're, the base of the, the foundation that they're built on, kind of what stands underneath them, happiness or joy. I've got our little digital whiteboard up here, and I want to make some notes here. So we've got happy, and then we've got joy. And what is it that's different about these two things? We think about happiness, we think about the circumstances of our life. When we're going through good things, we, we're happy. So happiness seems to be based on circumstances, while joy is based on a Savior. It's a better foundation. It's a longer-term kind of experience. Happiness is often connected to our pleasure. What, what gives us pleasure? What feels good to us? While joy is really connected to a person. Happiness, we tend to think about happiness because of our, our reality. 
You know, if it's a good day, if we're experiencing great things, physical realities that we engage in every day, while joy, joy is much more about a relationship. I'm just thinking about, you know, the game last week. I don't know how you guys experienced it, but, but didn't the happiness come and go pretty quick, right? <laughs> it's like things are going well, I'm so enjoying this, the reality is amazing, and then 13 seconds in, we're like, ah, it all just fell apart, you know? And then we were back up again. That's what happiness does. It's connected to, the, you know, things around us in the moment, outside of us, really external things. But when you think about joy, it's not external. It's eternal. We get connected to the eternal. This is really what makes a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is stuck on the externals. Joy gets us connected to the eternals. And Paul writes this letter to his friends to help them engage with, with true joy, complete joy. So let's take some time and look at this letter together. We're going to start in chapter 1 of Philippians. It's in the New Testament, fifth book, in a gathering of eight books, uh, where Paul is writing letters to different groups of uh, communities around uh, Asia Minor, Macedonia, where he started churches. So Paul writes letters to the Corinthian people, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Colossians people, the Thessalonians, and he writes to the Philippians as well. And when he writes these letters, they have a normal kind of setup, a normal form to them. And so he starts Philippians with these words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's Paul's way of saying, hi friends, it's me and Timothy. We love you. We're excited to write this note to you. And then verses three through six, look at these words. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a good start to a letter, isn't it? Talks about joy. Talks about the difference that their relationship makes in his life. Is there anybody like that in your world? Like whenever you think of them, your gratitude comes to mind. When you think of them, you just smile. When you see their face, when you see their name, just as an encouragement to you. If you've got someone like that in your world, you should grab your phone right now and just send them a text and just say, hey, thanks for being my friend. Thanks for bringing joy into my world. Paul goes on to write about why he feels this way about them and what he's praying for them. Those are good verses, but we're going to skip over that to verse 12. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 27 this morning, a little bit more closely. And um, I want you to open up your Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, open that up. There's some on the table there. Open up your Bible app if you've got that. Uh, the words that we're going to read are not going to be on the screen for these verses. I want, you to, I want you to trace them through the scriptures with me. If you're watching at home and you don't have a Bible, would you fill out a connection card and let us know? I'll put one in the mail to you tomorrow and make sure you have a Bible. We're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And as we read these, I'm going to pause every so often and just make some comments. Um, but let's continue to read this letter that Paul wrote to his friends and, and see what he says to them. Verse 12. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The use of actually there, actually served. You get the feeling that this would be surprising to them. That he's been in prison for two years. They're not sure how he's doing. And he says, this is actually advancing the gospel. Surprise, it's doing good things. Verse 13, 
As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul says there's two things happening that are good because of these chains that I'm wearing. First, those who are restricting his freedom, those who are watching over him, making sure he doesn't go anywhere, this guard, this palace guard, they know that he's locked up because of something he believes, not because of something he did. They know he's locked up because he thinks a a Jewish carpenter who became a rabbi 30 years ago was, was killed on a cross by Rome, that this person came back to life and is the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh on earth, who can offer us forgiveness. And those who are holding Paul, they know that that's what he believes. They're, knowing, they're learning about Jesus because of his example there. And the second thing he says, and because of my chains, many of the fellow believers, people that believe like we do, they're getting encouragement. They're getting courage to continue to share the good news about Jesus. They see my example, even these chains, and they know that I'm being faithful, and so they are growing in hope and growing in strength in their own pointing to Jesus. It just reminds me that our examples matter. How we live in front of others, it matters. People see the life we live and the example that we set. And Jesus would say, let them see your good deeds that they may glorify their Father in heaven. That's, that's what Paul is referencing here. He says that's what's happening. They see the good things and they're glorifying God and growing in their faith. Verse 15 now, of those who are sharing the gospel, he says, these people, that, these brothers and sisters sharing the gospel, he says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. There's different ways the gospel is going out. He says, there's some sharing it in love, and some sharing it because they're envious of my influence. There's some that are standing against me, and rivals to me, Paul says. They're trying to make life harder for me, but they're out there sharing the gospel. And he says, you know what? Jesus is being lifted up. That's what matters. At the end of the day, even these that stand against me, they're still doing the things my friends are doing, the thing that I want to see done, and that's that Jesus is being preached. He's being lifted up. Now, there's another point in, later in the New Testament in the book of Galatians when Paul writes about a different gospel, he says. He says there is a different gospel. He says you, you might actually call it no gospel at all. And he says those that are teaching that way, we need to stand against that because we don't want people to be um, distracted or taken down the wrong path. He says, when, there's, when this no gospel starts showing up, you need to say, hey, that's not truth. You need to stand against that. But in this case, he says, when it's the true gospel preached with twisted motives, he says, well, what does it matter? Because people are coming to know Christ, even though the, the motives are somewhat off. And he says, I, I, I choose to find joy in that. I'm going to rejoice in that. And the rest of uh, verse 18 there, he says, yes, And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says, your prayers have mattered to me. They've made a difference. Paul often asked his friends to pray for him, to lift him up, to pray for safety, 
to pray for progress in, in the work of starting and strengthening these churches in the ancient world, for fearlessness and talking to others about Jesus. And here he says, pray that I might be delivered, that there might be a rescue for me. He says, it's making a difference. And then he says, God also, God's provision makes a difference. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of Jesus is, is filling me and encouraging me and helping me know that what's happening to me will not be the end, that there will be deliverance. Now, obviously, Paul had the Spirit of, of God on him already. He'd been corrected and trained and gifted by the Spirit of God. He became a follower of Jesus, and the Spirit of God came on him. But he says, in this circumstance, as he's in prison, the Spirit of Jesus is with him in a special way, giving him strength, helping him. We see that often happening when people go through difficult days and hardships. It's not that we get a, you know, a, a different kind of feeling. It's just an encouragement of the Spirit. We're lifted up in a different way. The Spirit of God is with us in the midst of those hard times. These words would have been a great encouragement to Paul's friends in Philippi. They'd been deeply impacted by him. Ten years earlier in that first visit and other visits since then, he'd really invested them and made a difference. And now they're seeing the hope that he's in prison, but it's not going to be the end of the story. There's going to be a way through. Pick it up in, in verse 20. It says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will always have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And Paul has a way of doing this life or death. Why is he bringing up death? You know, he's just talking about rescue, he's just talking about deliverance, good things coming. Why does he want to bring up something like death in this moment? Verse 21 For to me, Paul writes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is really one of the key verses in this first chapter of Philippians. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You put life and death as a choice before most of us, we're going to choose life every time, right? It's not going to take long. It's going to be a blink and we're, we're oh, I'll take life. I'll take life. Paul seems to be struggling with that decision a little bit more. Like he's got them on the scales and he's trying to figure out which one has more value, which one matters more to him in this situation. I don't think many of us wonder about that. We don't have scale. We're like, it's about life. I want life. I don't want to have anything to do with that death thing. We're, we're shielded from death here in America most, most of the time. We might see a, a processional on the highway every once in a while. We might go to a funeral once every few years. But, but here's Paul in prison in the ancient world. And death was a reality he faced every day. And as he thought about it, he had this sort of back and forth. What, what's better? Which one do I want to choose? For me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It seems like he's saying, like, death is maybe a good option for me. Why is it gain? In verse 22, he, he writes some more about it. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the, your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul tips his cards here and gives us a little insight on his kind of back and forth determination. He says, to exist in the full presence of Christ, to be in the kingdom of God in its completeness, he says, that's better by far. That's what I long for. That promise helps me hold on in the midst of the darkness that I'm in, in the midst of this prison. 
Paul would later say things like, you know, the future glory that we have in front of us. You can't compare these sufferings we're going through to the glory we will have one day in Christ. Paul says, that's, that's what gives me hope. But then he says, but, but because of you, because of my heart for you, because I want to see your joy complete, I want to see you growing in your faith, it's better that I stay and, and continue to develop your faith. He's modeling for us this wonderful truth that it's so good to serve others, to lift up others, that we would sacrifice our lives and surrender our lives so that others might come to know Christ. He says, I'm going I'm to stay and make sure you continue to grow in joy and in faith. And then verse 27, he kind of wraps it all up. Whatever happens as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel. This joy that Paul wants for his friends, the joy of, he wants for them is, is about uniting and coming together pursuing one spirit, working together as one, moving towards one vision that God has placed in their life. Paul knows that this joy is not what everyone experiences, to be together, to be moving together towards a vision, to, to be trusting and knowing that everyone's hoping for the same thing as you're moving together. That's what brings joy to a community of faith. And for that unity to come to us, we have to take on the posture that Paul takes on here, that we serve others that we live for the good of others, that their joy might continue to move forward, that their faith might grow. This is what brings us together. Paul wants that for his friends in Philippi, and God wants that for us today as well. A bit later on, Paul would write these words in, in Philippians chapter 2. It says, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. There's a joy in that kind of unity. And Paul's life was difficult, but he saw joy. Joy was brought to him, first of all, by the gospel continuing to go out. Even in prison, even as he's in chains, he says, I see the gospel expanding, the good news about Jesus going out. And second, that we are serving together, that we can surrender our lives and work together to serve one another and to find unity together for the good of all people, those inside and those outside. So in Paul's life, we see this important truth that God doesn't work in spite of our hardships. God works through our hardships. They aren't obstacles to him. Our hardships are opportunities for God to mark his power and his presence and his grace in our lives. And Paul realizes that. So I want to give you one more question as we start to wrap up here to talk about around your table. And uh, I'm going to give you three minutes for this one, a little bit longer, because uh, I want you to be able to engage in that. And again, three minutes. Here's what I want you to do. Share one way being connected to others has helped you in a difficult season of life. You don't have to talk about the difficult season of life, but just tell us what, what's one way that others have helped you through those times when life was difficult for you. So take three minutes and do that around your table. If you're watching at home, do it on your own right now. Take some time and reflect on that idea.
All right, one more minute, one minute, one more minute. Okay, I want to invite you to start wrapping up those conversations. Okay. So good to hear you talking, and I know we're not giving you enough time to really lean into that. And it's, it's good to hear you sharing with one another, and sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. So we can find joy in the midst of hardships of life. It's so good that we have others around us to help us when we go through those, those tough emotional times. But this joy is found as we continue to unify around the one who saved us, the one who called us by name, the one who rescues us. The joy is found as we give our attention to Jesus and we begin to move towards him together, serving one another. That's where joy is found. Now, I want you to know our unity is not going to be defined by who is inside and who is outside. We're not going to define our unity based on who follows the rules and who doesn't, or who gives us what we need and who doesn't give us what we need. We're going to define our unity around the one, Jesus Christ, who we are moving toward together. That's the joy that Paul wants for his friends in Philippi. It's the joy that God wants for us. We were created for it. Let's unify around the one, the person, the relationship that lasts, that is stable, that is a foundation for us to build our lives upon. Happiness will come and go. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. And I'm so thankful for that. Let's, let's close in prayer together and we'll sing a song as we wrap up. But uh, talk to God with me right now. Father, thank you for the joy that you place in our hearts. We thank you for this letter written so many hundreds of years ago. And yet it continues to speak into our lives today. Thank you for the ways that you used Paul and those with him to, to begin these little church communities all around the ancient world. And today, Billions of people around this planet lift up the name of Jesus because of these faithful ones two millennia ago. Lord, we are so thankful. Thank you for these stories that continue to encourage us. And might we know the joy that you created us for. Father, as our emotions ebb and flow, as we have good days and bad days, might your joy be what holds us firm. That no matter what we face, later today, if we celebrate or if we're sad, Lord, your joy will carry us through. And we're so thankful, Christ, that you are with us. Jesus, that you saved us. We want to pursue you and follow your example in every way. We offer ourselves to you this morning because of what you did for us on the cross. We pray all this in your name. Amen.